Scientist in remote Antarctic outpost stabs colleague who told him endings of books he was reading. I mean, fair. <laughs> <laughs> so these two dudes, uh -huh. this is, and this is in the Daily Record, um, a publication I've never heard of, but nonetheless. It's a Scottish publication. It's Scottish. Ah, yes. My Scottish media um, expertise should have, should have told me that. Um, but these two men, um, this is, will forever now be known as the Ballad of Sergei and Oleg. Um, but um, one of them stabbed the other because they were just hanging out in Antarctica for four years alone together. Yeah. And one of them just like kept, here we go. Um, Savitsky became angry after Balogazov kept telling him the endings, it is alleged. <laughs> so, <laughs> it seems very specific for that to be alleged. Um, he so, stabbed him in the heart yeah, with a so, kitchen knife. So you're down in Antarctica. Just imagine like being down in Antarctica. Yeah. And it's like it's, you know, whatever ungodly temperature and you're in your little like, what do you even live? I don't I don't A tent, a little thing. I think just you like have a, buildings because and, it's right. too cold to live in a tent in Antarctica <laughs> for any long period of time, my frame Eric. Of, my frame of reference for all wilderness is like a little tent. Um, <laughs> but like... You're just there in your little outpost, and you've got, like, one friend, and all you've seen for four straight years is just, like, the haze of the snow. It's like and, the thing, but for book lovers. And, like, you've got, you know, you finally, you know, it took months, but Harry Potter finally arrived, you know, and you get to read it. And you're, like, getting through there, and you're, like, trying to stay sane, and then, like, Oleg here comes in and goes... You hear about Dobby? Yeah. <laughs> and, and immediately tells you that Dumbledore dies. Um, and I mean, <laughs> frankly, the only option available left to you is to take the knife and put it right through his heart. Because what are you going to do? You That was your whole life. But the dude is still alive. I know. He's in critical condition. Yeah, Oleg's going to have to go finish the job. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so okay. So we've had this podcast for mm. two years. They've been yeah. together for four years yeah. before the heart stabbing commenced. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a good two two years left. It's like, it is like these Minnesota winters, man. We're recording this at like a very normal hour of the day and it's like pitch black out. The first time uh, Eric recorded in our new recording location, mm -hmm. uh, it snowed very badly. Oh, yeah. And we like did one and Eric was like, man, I don't know, maybe I should leave. And he was like, nah, I don't need to leave. Like, let's do the second episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he got about a block when he left. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, some kind neighbors had to dig you out. Yeah, um, I and you didn't have a coat, so you had to wear my <laughs> coat, and then so you got so you got dug out, and then you went about two blocks. I'm wearing this coat that had all this room in the hips. For yeah, me. very hippie. Yeah, uh, and then you made it two blocks, uh -huh. and then I get this call when I'm shoveling, uh -huh. and I of course don't answer it because like I have a very roomy hippie coat, and yeah. my you know mm -hmm. my my phone was in there, and when I was shoveling, and finally I check my phone when I get inside. And you've just been like stuck two blocks away <laughs> and like don't know what to do because you're yeah. in the middle of the street. Right in the middle of the street. yeah. And so then I tromp over and we push you aside and then you had to like stay the night and like couldn't leave for like a day and a half. But all of this, all of this is to say that these conditions here are like Antarctica I and we do you... spend a lot of time confined talking yeah. about books. So who would do the stabbing? 
come on, you're the one doing the stabbing. Are you sure? Because I also think that I'm the one that's an asshole enough to, like, spoil the book for you. Mm, man. It's a real dilemma here. I think yeah. the, I like how the question is, who's the asshole? And the answer is Laura on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder. I feel like a lot of people think that. Um, you're they, the asshole? Yeah. I think a lot. Of, if you like pulled our listeners, most of them would say that I was the asshole. But, I think, but I think they might be wrong. <laughs> I think they're very wrong. I'm also the mean one. Yeah. And well, no, that's not a secret. I'm also like the. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're the nice one. Um. Anyway. But, um. you know, so when. You know, I have to like start a GoFundMe because I've been stabbed because um, <laughs> I was ruining some ending for for Laura's books. Um, know that it was her, um, and that and that of you course you did tell me there episodes, were ghosts in Swamplandia. <laughs> new episodes will still be coming out on Tuesday, even after I'm in my hospital bed stabbed by my podcast host. Unfortunately, Eric does not know how to run the recording software. That is a really unfortunate issue. Um, but anyway, we should probably say welcome. To this episode of Print Run, my name is Eric Kane, unstabbed as of yet. Um, with <laughs> Just me, wait. <laughs> with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Um, so it's a it's a fun one today. It's you know dark. It's gloomy. It's almost Halloween. Um, if it's almost Halloween, you know what it also means. It is almost, which we are going to talk about here. Wait, in but a few first, minutes. can we talk about Halloween for a second? Yes, we certainly can. Okay. Uh, so we both have houses now, yeah. so we can give away give away candy yeah, for yeah. the first time in my entire life. Uh-huh. What are you wearing to give away candy yeah, on really Halloween? Thought, I haven't really thought about that. I was gonna like because we're like you new. can't just like wear a dad no, sweater. No, no, see that was exactly the plan because <laughs> <laughs> because my plan like my neighbors my neighbors don't really like us that much, um, but. It's one of those things where I want to be, you know, friendly new neighbor guy, right? So I was thinking I might just, like, put on a tasteful sweater and try to just be, like, nice to everyone's children for an evening. Or you could see. be in the spirit and dress up. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know what to be. All right, so please send us what I should be for Halloween. That yeah, would be helpful. but he I only given... has, like, a day well, to I, pull it together. I got to pull it together within the stuff in my home. You, you can know? borrow You can borrow Nick's B-Girl costume. Ooh. Maybe. Yeah. My my husband, I should say, uh, told me a couple of months ago that he wanted to be the B-girl from the Blind Melon music video, No Rain. And so I made the costume for him <laughs> and he was very popular <laughs> on Saturday night when he wore it. Excellent. So there you go. Yeah. I, myself, am dressing up as Rosie the Riveter and asking all of the parents if they voted or if they're wow. planning on voting. Look at if you. If they're registered you to vote. Just such a... Wow. I'm very enthused. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But like, get, let's get back to uh, the the opening of the show. Um. Yeah. So I don't even remember where we were. I'll do it. Yeah, you do it. Please. I'll do it. Please. I'm taking over because this is my part anyway. I'm asking you what the rundown is. Yeah. The rundown. Please. So the rundown is that it is almost November. So we will be having three special new episodes, a query show, a first pages show, and then something else. If you have suggestions or requests, send them to us along with your queries and your first pages. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So, November. Yep. It's almost upon us. Yep. Um, we're coming up on it. That, for most of the writing world, I would say means it really it's synonymous with one thing at this point. You hate it or you love it, but you definitely have an opinion on it. No shave November. That, <laughs> no. Um, no. No, no. We will all be shaving in November. 
Mm. It's a children's game. No shade for them. <laughs> um, we're talking, of course, of National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. Um, it is the thing that everyone online, if you're a writer of any kind, has to have some sort of take or counter take about. You either think it's really fun and like a great way to be a part of a community, or you think it's like a really dumb thing and you're also going to say just as much um, about aloud it. about it. <laughs> um, and so I guess before we kind of get into what we our specific angle here today on NaNoWriMo, yep. um, what do you like? What's your, you know, immediate, like you hear it come up? You know, it's like mid-October, you start to hear, you know, rumblings of it. Do you mm-hmm. get excited or do you just get, like, mad? Um, so before I would get kind of mad because uh-huh. I'd always have, like, 50 people on December 1st <laughs> who would send me their nano novel being like, uh-huh. I did this. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, no, no, but I'm closed to queries until January this year. You slammed the snowy door in their face. I slammed the snowy door in their faces. Man. Just like threw them a knife. Wow. Uh, And so I am no longer of the take that Nano is bad, and I am instead of the take that Nano is good. Wow, look at you. Because you know what? I love it when people just hop on bandwagons and mm-hmm. i especially love the the twitter bandwagon mm-hmm. um and i'm always i have to admit eric i'm always incredibly impressed when people are at, like i wrote 3000 words today i'm like i got 2000 steps in like good <laughs> <laughs> good job <laughs> yeah i didn't do either of those things yeah. um but so i think that you know i was kind of giving it some thought and on the one hand, NaNoWriMo for me has, it's always been a little bit, it's been like this weird like marker of time, right? Because I've been like working on the same thing for just ever. Six at this years. Point. And so it feels like every time it comes around, it's like never, like no matter what I do. And I have like really tried to make game efforts to like Have you tried to do NaNo? I mean, I've tried. I've never done, like one, th- one thing I'm a, like a strict fundamentalist about is that you're either doing this or not. Mm, you know, you like, can't dabble in the I don't nano. Think that, I think that it is perfectly good to like do all sorts of fun little writing things, but like NaNoWriMo is a thing with a with a definition. You know what I mean? Like it it does mean something. It has rules. Yeah, there are rules and stuff. And so if you want to use November as like a month to like do other structured writing things, that's great too. But you know, it's it's something else. Mm. Um, but so I've never like accomplished you know NaNoWriMo as it's been laid out to me, but. I've tried to use the month, you know, where everyone's kind of talking about their progress to be useful in some way. And I probably will just in some shape or form this year, too, just because it's always good to have a little external structure when you can get it. But we do have but, a structure. We have a structure coming up in December. <laughs> Not yet. Don't. Don't. I know. I know. I want to talk about it, too, but we can't do it yet. Okay. Um before All the people who have been listening for the last year and a half are like, hey, they I know. They know what's coming. They know what's coming. Right. It's going to be better this year than it's ever been before. We can go back to NaNo. Uh, <laughs> but so the more interesting question to me, yep. as someone who fields a lot of these books, as you say, on often in early December, but eventually even people who responsibly wait and edit and do all those things, you know, like a lot of books get written yeah. during November. And so my question to you, you know, thinking of it as like this larger artistic exercise like this sort of i mean in a way it's it's kind of a cool thing to talk about right like it really is this like mass month of artistic production right 
Like people really yeah, millions are millions and millions and yeah, millions like of lots words. and lots of people are writing books that, you know, come to fruition this month. And that's really cool. And so my question to you is, are there any like what I want to figure out how to phrase it exactly right. Are there any defining traits you think to an, a book that was written during National Novel Writing Month under the condi- like under the conditions of you know this sort of program you know like mm. if this if November is a structured month of writing a certain way at a certain rate you know surely I think it stands to reason anytime you impose any of those kinds of conditions it creates you know it has an effect on the work itself right. And so the question is, what's the effect? Like, we've all chosen that this is a literary institution each month. Like, does it, does it do anything to the work? And does whatever it does, does that ever end up mattering, do you think? Yeah. So I think the short answer is yes. The uh-huh. long answer makes me want to go back to the rules mm-hmm. of NaNo, yeah. right? And so National Novel Writing Month, November is 30 days long. Okay. So the goal is in 30 days to write an entire book, Mm -hmm. which is 50,000 words. Or so. So, Or so. But the goal is to write 50,000 words in 30 pages. So I think, like, personally, I think a lot of the people who are choosing a nano project, what they choose is an idea that's been bopping around in their head for a little bit, but it's a very specific kind of project like it's one that can be achieved from start to finish in 50,000 words at least in its initial iteration because like nobody wants to you know pound out half of a book in in a month and then like and then nobody is like cheering them on anymore and then they're like oh well I'm halfway done right that would be a little bit demoralizing so and I'm sure some people do do that and like aren't demoralized by that at all but I think that like if at least I were doing it, I would pick something that would be fifty thousand words long. And I think which is yeah. which is shorter than any kind. I mean, that's half the length of a fantasy or science fiction novel. It's you know two thirds the length of a romance novel or a YA novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a short book. Yeah, it's half. It's half the length of a women's fiction or lit fic. You know, it's it's a short book. Yeah, I mean, so, and I think that you know. The point about the 50,000 words and that sense of completion, Mm -hmm. I do think is really interesting because I am with you that I think people undertake projects in November. Like no one uses this month. Again, we say no one. Of course, there are always people. But like I think by and large, at least from the conversations I've seen, it's a month meant for something self-contained. Right. Like people really are. Whatever it is, even if you write less, like maybe your plan is to write less than 50,000 words, you know, whatever, however you're envisioning this. But people do try to create something self-contained here. You know, they want to start something and have the thrill, very justifiably, of finishing it. And so nano books are, I think, shorter. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair thing to say. I think they lean toward, you know, brevity. They are um, projects that obviously then you get into this idea of structural complication, right? Sure. Like, do you think that... And I guess some of this ends up, you know, being about, you know, what sort of pre-writing, you know, gets done. What mm-hmm. sort of... Um, is it know? outlined? Is it plotted? Yeah. Because I know that a lot of people use, like, October, for instance, as sort of their, you know, pre, you know, people who are real serious about it. They'll use it as, like, a month of, you know, getting their notes together and getting their outline together so that they can, you know, without cheating, you know, start on November 1st and be, be ready to rock. Um, and 
I guess I don't know. And so I feel like apart from length, that sort of structure where you're asked to just kind of grind out word after, you know, this many words per day. Yeah. And to me, that lends itself to much more plot based writing. Yeah, you that know, makes sense. It's kind of it's kind of a thought that I I know we've both had. Like, it's I feel like it would be easier, you know, to write say uh, like an action based thriller during November yeah. more than or like a romance or something that really kind of more than something with like a ton of deep introspection and like intricacy of like not to say those of those books can't have those things, but you get what I'm saying, like. There's books they're that, more reliant on outward beats, yes, not inward yeah, facing. Exactly, beats. they're less like you know they're less interior based, and um, I don't know just because that writing I think often you know it comes faster to people. Yeah. Um, whether or not it's better or not, you know, is a different question. But like, it's it's work that um, I don't know. It's it comes at a rate you know that kind of I think affects the um, you know the content which raises all kinds of interesting questions, you know, because yeah. if we're if we've created this situation, this artistic crucible that produces a certain kind of work in a certain kind of time frame, you know, and we've and people have come to accept it, like NaNoWriMo is an institution now, you know, to its credit. Um like is there something to be said that maybe we should be putting like fiction writers or, you know, Um, you know, any kind of writer into more situations like this. So let's take that idea and and really explain why that is, Mm -hmm. right? So you have 30 days to write 50,000 words. Yeah. Um, I think think that idea of forward momentum and completion is really, really important, Mm -hmm. right? Like when, when you are pushing your brain that hard and you've got your ass in the chair for that many hours to get those 50,000 words... I think just mentally, it's more satisfying to be able to, at the end of a two-hour sprint, look up at, you know, and look at your outline and go, okay, great, this main character went here and talked to this person and had this fight, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that is more satisfying. And I think there's also something where the more you're focusing on what a person is doing, Mm -hmm. um the 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 more it it has the potential to make sense whereas like when you're really really focused on what a person is thinking you need to build in lots of context you need to build in a lot of like prior experiences you need to connect memories you need to really like make that moment when somebody's just thinking they're exciting and that's really difficult right and so i think that a lot of those projects lend themselves very well to nano. So I I have a list of famous published NaNoWriMo books. Mm -hmm. And I think that you'll be surprised at a lot of them, um, but not at others. So one of the first famous ones was Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen. Is that really a nano? Wow. It was a nano book. Also, The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Uh Uh-huh. Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell, uh-huh. Wool by Hugh Howie, and there is Cinder, which is the um, Cinderella retelling that was really, really famous. Um, and you know, a lot of Marissa Meyer books 
Plots, plots, plots. Plots, plots, plots. Um, and like to be fair, like a lot of these are really literary. Like the Night Circus <laughs> is highly literary, as is Water for Elephants. Water for elephants. That way, yeah. But they're still very focused on yeah. outward stuff. Like you don't see a nano book that's like a white suburban women woman <laughs> like like drinking yeah. coffee and yeah. having that like mean a lot. Like you, you wouldn't yeah. So maybe, Eric, maybe the reason that you've never won Nano is because you write about, like, confusing Swedes. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> um, I just look at this, um, this you know, set of books that you just read and many others in the category, too, that were kind of written under these conditions. And it makes me... It makes me want to, like, try other weird writing experiments like this. Mm, like you what? Know, I don't know. Like, I want to make people write a novel, you know, under different time spans or under different word counts. Uncertainly, you know, like, what if we said you had to write something, you know, that was a hundred thousand words over two months? You know, I think you wouldn't just get twice the book. I think you would get different types of projects and stuff. Yeah. Like, which is to say, I mean, obviously that's a really like a facile example, but the point is that there, I think, really is something to the conditions under which you put. A creative person and tell them to go yeah and well they're obviously going to make choices that make their job easier that make the, that fit the circumstances and so if we've created this sort of mass movement where people naturally decide this is a good thing to do and it's fascinating that we've kind of reached this point that something like there's really not ever that much consensus in the writing world that something is a good thing to do <laughs> but this is you know and people like it um i just want like I wonder what other like mass cultural writing experiments, you know, we could do with that. Like what other conditions could we put people under? What other, you know, forms could we I mean there is one which mm -hmm. is writing every day. Yeah. No, I mean anything yeah, anything like that where you just like made like some there's something obviously there's like habits and there's routines that people can get into. Yeah. But there's something specific about November that where the habits aren't strictly yours, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like you're fitting into a program that already exists. And I think, like, oftentimes with art, good stuff really comes up when you're being pushed by something other than you. Yeah. Like, because when you make your own, like, you're, when you make your own writing routine or anything like that, you're doing it in a way that is comfortable for you. Yeah. Or, or very, that's most conducive to... A very elite version of Nano could be writer's residencies. Yeah. I mean, those, and I think that those are, I think that. Like, they put writers in yeah. a specific context and for a certain period of time, and they're all different times, but then they expect them to make something. Well, that's why those things always have such a high emphasis on the circumstances, right? Right. Like the place, you know, whether yeah. it's like some idyllic setting or. That's why the Mall of, America Mall of America had a guy. You know it's because I mean? they wanted them and, to write something about the mall. And I just can't decide if, like, I don't necessarily believe that um, that NaNoWriMo was created with the art it would produce in mind, right? Mm. I think it was produced, I think it was created. solidarity and, like, yeah, a challenge. Yeah, exactly. Like, but what if you were to actually design one of these things and we should work on it and where we should take, like, reader input on it because we're kind of teasing this out on air, you know? But, like, what if you created something like this as a means of part of the art itself, mm. you know? And I just think that there's something interesting about playing with the, making the conditions something other than here's what the writer's most comfortable with. Here's what they chose to how to write their book. Like right. if you took someone who's creative and said, no, 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 do it this way 
and see what you get. I think that there's all sorts of possibility there. I don't know. Or if there was something where it was like, okay, in this week, you are writing a 3,000 word scene. Mm-hmm. And it's one scene. And it's only up to two characters. And you have an entire week to do it. But you have to look at it every day. Like, yeah. I wonder if you get a really, like, introspective scene. I think you would. I mean, or any, anything like that. And you could almost, it just, even if it, you know, the experiment itself failed, it would, you'd end up with some really interesting correlations, I think, between what sort of process produces what sort of work and yeah. what sort of conditions. And, like, you get into, you know, there's broader cultural discussions you could have about the conditions available to certain people, you know, in certain like in what sort of work is, you know, possible or, you know, more likely to come from writers forced to work under, um, you know, conditions that are different than what are available to others. And I don't know. It's just it, the month always beyond just like the personal solidarity element to it. Yeah. It all it just makes me think of how interesting like self-imposed st- like structure is around the creative process. And I always find it fascinating and even though I don't want you to send me your nano book on December 1st, um, I do think that there is a really, I think that you really could write a really good book this month that um, ends up after the appropriate amount of editing and everything being something that maybe you didn't even know you were capable of, you know, because it's not something you were thinking of in, through your normal process, you know. And so I guess I'm always just kind of intrigued by the possibilities there. But I wonder, I wonder what, like, vampire romance novel you're going to be writing for nano (laughs) maybe i should do something like that. you should do something different because you're like letting your your novel sit right like you should do something completely different right or maybe you should turn nano into like a reading challenge yeah like you have to read you know eight books that are outside (laughs) of like what you you know or something like that i don't know it's like you end up it's it's the same question. It ends up making you feel, it's you end up you start seeing possibilities all over the place for self-imposed challenges. Mm-hmm. And I just I wonder if there's room for more of that in in yeah. art stuff. Well, there is, yeah. there is, and it's something that Print Run does, mm-hmm. and it is called mm-hmm. Decembo. Folks, folks, it's coming. It's coming. We're bringing it back. We're bringing back the memes. We're bringing back the tweets. We're bringing back the saltiest editing advice you could ever need for With the, the month worst of December. Memes. Yeah, last year was really fun. I mean, because I, I feel like first and foremost, we had a lot of fun with it. We right? did. Like people. I think connected with it by and large. It was fun to kind of be in conversation with all the people who kind of, you know, engage with us online and, you know, through the show and stuff. And it was fun. But one thing that was really kind of funny about it is like toward the end, especially like during the days when we were like mired in holiday stuff, I'm like, you know, we're like with family and like I'm like, you know, De- December 26th. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like and you like, want your mom to leave you alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, <laughs> it, I'm like, I can't, mom. I'm in my room making memes, you know? <laughs> Like you end up like in these really like, but this year it's I don't know it's it's gonna be fun again and I, I let's feel back like... up and explain to the new <laughs> listeners what Decembo is. Okay, okay, so Decembo, it's got a stupid name, but then again, Nanorimo isn't that good of a name for something either. Um, what it is is basically it hinges on the same premise that we just talked about. National Novel Writing Month produces 
Lots and lots and lots and lots of words. And one thing that all those words have in common is that they were written very quickly. And, and they're they, bad. <laughs> and they're probably really bad, which is not to say anything about what we just talked about, which is that great books written in November are highly possible, and I would say even probable, but there's part of the process that I think gets talked about with way less structure, and so our plan every year, although we've, we've done it one year, but we plan, you know, we're doing it this year, it's kind of our thing now, is to come up with a structured editing month. Yep. For That are holiday-themed. Yeah. No, we try to make it around, you know, holiday advice. We try to make it, you know... We try to sprinkle in some advice with what to do with your, you know, politically averse, you know, in-laws, you know, all those yeah. people. It's it's good. It's like a it's more a lifestyle. It's a mindset. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like you've come off of this really affirming month of mm-hmm. like a, a a website that shows you a progress bar of your writing and it and it gets you really far and you and you feel really 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 accomplished and then november ends and you're just stuck with like a fifty thousand word pile of crap and like you're not motivated to make it better or to you know to fluff it to smooth it out to anything like that and we also know that december is really busy and so december uh december in december (laughs) is meant to give you one tiny little easy piece of editing a day like one little tip that you can do and feel really good about yourself because man the come down is harsh yeah. off of november it is like off of nano like it is harsh you go from like having everybody like texting each other being like "Woo, i wrote a thousand words today Woo-hoo! you know and like i want to do this 30 minute sprint i everybody who does nano are become woo girls like you are a woo girl when you do nano i'm at, at any given point on any given topic, I'm like 15 seconds away from becoming a woo girl. Yeah, you just need the it right, you the... need the motivation. You just need <laughs> yeah. the motivation right. to become the woo girl. Yeah. And so you can't just go from being a woo girl to being a nothing. Right. Like you have to come down. And December. nothing. To being a nothing. <laughs> so December is to bring you down from being a woo to a nothing. Um, because then, you know, then you can handle your like spiked eggnog and mm-hmm. all that jazz. And still feel productive. And still feel productive, which is incredibly like, important. Yeah. So, you know, that and, you know, Eric gets to spend many, many hours on Canva making killer memes. Or like as they are called in the parlance, dank memes. Actually, what's <laughs> what's funny about it is that I'm actually incredibly bad at like Photoshop. Incredibly st- bad. <laughs> hey. Um but it's a thing now. It's like though we're we're bad enough at it that it's become like a house style at this point. Like if they were any better, people would think other people were making it. Yeah. So I was having um, can, guys. Can I tell you a story really quickly? I was having drinks with the graphic designer who did our print run logo, uh-huh. and I was talking about you know like other work that we need done because like like I said we're we're bad at Photoshop. And she goes, oh, yeah, I can do that for you. But, like, I'm much better now. And I was like, oh, you don't even understand. Like, I had to explain to her. I was like, I was like, no, no, no. You're the best part of our brand. Everything else is crap. Everything else is, like, me, like, tra- you know, cutting things and screenshotting with only being able to do, like, rectangles and stuff. Like, I, I don't actually, like, trace anything out. It's really good, folks. It's um, excellent. But you'll know it's from us when it's shitty enough to only be from the bird. Yeah. Um, so if you want to get a sense of what December was like last year, head on over. You can either look at the hashtag December 
um, hashtag on Twitter. All there. Or you can go to Decembo.org because that's right. <laughs> dot org. Dot, oh, there's the also, funniest. we also have Decembo.rocks because it does. One of the funniest things about the whole thing is dot org that yeah. we've decided to that's make That's all it. they had available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Decembo.org. Um, yeah, because it's, it's a very important organization, mm-hmm. just like how NaNoWriMo yeah. is also yeah. an organization. Uh, and we're just as good as them, Eric. Yeah, no, definitely. We've definitely put just as much thought and legwork into our stupid ass thing yeah. as they did for their well-paced writing project that yep. has informed and inspired millions. Um, so. Yep. When are we going to get our water for elephants <laughs> is my question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the next um, the next thing we wanted to talk about today um, is kind of on the heels of, I guess, entertainment news um, yep. this week. If you're anyone who's enjoys... Anyone who's anyone. anyone. Frank, that's the thing. It's like it really feels like it's become... I personally haven't played it, but it has become such a phenomenon. Red Dead Redemption 2. AKA video. the reason I haven't watched TV in a, in four days. Yeah. It's this. Um, if you aren't familiar, and again, I cannot imagine that that you aren't, because it's it's become such a everyone is playing this game right now. It's this big, vast, open world game where you're in the old west, right, and you're yeah. a cowboy, and like it's the turn of the it's the turn of yeah. the twentieth century. You're you know part of this gang that's got like women and children and whatever, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's you it starts. In this freak spring snowstorm on the heels of a bank robbery that's gone very wrong. Okay, and so the, the reason people play this game is because it's it's so immersive, right? Like, it's in that new kind of open world style that games have, you know, sort of that, especially like its maker, you know, Rockstar is kind of big on this sort of mm-hmm. big, giant, limitless possibility universe, you know, with infinite number of things you can go do and things you can go explore and all this sorts of stuff and it's just this giant big playground right and yeah there's a story but a lot of it is just being able to run around and do whatever you want in cowboy land right but one thing that really has stood out to me apart from how much everyone seems to be enjoying themselves playing this and it's something that made me think a lot about about books honestly mm-hmm. and about and I was thinking about it because I I've been you know I work with um I work with a writer who uh, writes kind of Western stuff, so on a I guess on a literal level, I was we I've been kind of thinking lately about you know how to pitch that sort of work and how to um, kind of stay on theme with stuff. But there was this review of the game, yeah, that got passed around by Kotaku, which is kind of a you know a big you know it's a site for you know video game criticism and things like that. It's popular, um, and there was a paragraph in here of this what is effectively a rave review of this game that I wanted to read aloud and I especially wanted to read it in terms of the way we often think about um, big expansive literary projects as well so here goes this is the writer speaking of this giant like western historical game we were just describing it is defiantly slow paced exuberantly unfun and wholly unconcerned with catering to the needs or wants of its players it is also captivating poignant and at times shockingly entertaining It moves with the clumsy heaviness of a 19th century locomotive, but like that locomotive becomes unstoppable once it builds up a head of steam. Whether intentionally or not, its tale of failure and doom reflects the tribulations of its own creation, as a charismatic and self-deluded leader tries ever more desperately to convince his underlings to follow him off a cliff. Paradise awaits, he promises. Just push a little bit further. Sacrifice a little bit more. Hang in there a little bit longer. Mm. 
And so it just got me thinking because one common theme that I've found so interesting in the way people have been describing this game is how much joy they're getting out of not having fun with it Yeah. in certain spots. Like there's this idea that the bits that are, you know, really kind of difficult or tedious or like I've even seen, you know, people talk about how, you know, maybe the control, you know, the control scheme is clunky or unresponsive in a way, but somehow... All of that, because it matches this theme of, you know, the old gritty West, right, where things aren't easy and, you know, it is it is tough to live there. Like, somehow they're, like, enjoying the fact that the game is a slog. It's hard. In it, certain that, spots. It, that it doesn't. So an example of this <clears throat> is that there are no cutscenes in yeah. this in this video game. So, like, very often if, you, if you've ever played a video game, right, uh... There's, you know, you finish a mission and then there's, it takes you into a video, you know, the screen goes black, it takes you into video and it shows you the next bit of action. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the screen goes black again and then now you're post action and now you have to do stuff with the information that you just got, right? And that is not the case in this. It goes in and out incredibly seamlessly. There's no cut to black. There's no nothing. And so you can, you know, in what would be a five minute cutscene, it could actually be turned into five one minute little things where like in between you have to go somewhere else for the next part of the scene to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly like integrated. Yeah. Um, but what that means is that there are tinier missions and it takes longer to do stuff. So like you actually have to travel from place to place because it won't just bring you there. Yeah. Like you know, if if you are trying to befriend this one dude, like you might have to spend 45 minutes going through a cutscene of you two getting drunk, yeah. which is actually like part of a mission, well, you so, know, and it goes in and out. It's very cool. Well, it sounds I mean, it sounds it just gets me thinking about this idea of the leeway that's clear, you know, within the game. Right. Because what, yeah. you're, what you're describing is that. There's kind of these these moments where, you know, if the if the game is a text, right? And I think mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, you can treat, you know, a video game as a as a text. You know, there are spots where where a book might get boring, right? The game lets you kind of play through it. And so yeah. it's a little bit more engaging. But it just got me thinking about this idea of like, do any of us read books like this anymore? Like, do people read in a way? Because I feel like people used to. Like, there's there used to be kind of this idea of... You a know, challenging book. Right, a big challenging book that you just wanted to get through. And even in the spots that, like, weren't... Um, that weren't enjoyable, you got some joy out of really, like, struggling through it. Yeah, it's called and, Infinite Jest. <laughs> it is. Um, and, you know, or like Moby Dick or, like, you know, War and Peace or, you know, uh, Brothers Dostoevsky. Like, any... Um, or Brothers Karamazov, excuse me. Um, you know, any of these kind of books that um, just kind of stand as, like, the big giant totems that, like, reading through them kind of feels pretty good, you know, just having done it. But I feel like in the way we talk about reading advi writing advice now, especially, like, if you listen to our first pages show or anything, we're just constantly talking about, like, pacing. We're constantly yeah. talking about, you know, trimming to get to the action. We're talking about making things as engaging as possible on a line-by-line you know, basis. And I stand by that advice, but I also but. <laughs> wonder, no, but I, but what's so interesting about it is I just wonder if, I wonder if there could ever be a book like this is mm. my, is my point. Like anymore, like can someone write the big giant book that is, 
you know, perhaps intentionally clunky in spots, but because it's, you know, clunky or difficult, maybe that resonates with the theme of the story. Because one reason that people really like that it's, um, you know, this, this game is, you know, proven, you know, difficult or kind of slow in spots is because that feels like the West to them. Yeah. You know, they feel like they're struggling through the same time period. You actually have to cut your hair, exactly. otherwise it'll fall into Exa- your eyes. Exactly. Like, yeah. And I just wonder, like, I, I just wonder if that r- reading experience is replicable in written form or if that's something that is strictly, you know, the purview of the playing experience, which I think we would both agree is more active than, than reading, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, I think, you know, on a pithy level, I would say, like, yeah, those books exist, Eric. They win the Man Booker Award. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, but more more seriously, I think, I think that it, like, it's true that good literature echoes like the prose in in a lot of ways echoes the echoes what the book is about right so i'm thinking a book that i most recently read um was by tessa gratton um and it was a a a Lear retelling Mm -hmm. right and it just just came out um from tour and then the name is escaping me right now but it's like a king lear book right sure Uh, oh daughters of or the queens of innis lear there we go i had to i had to work for that one the queens (laughs) of innis lear and it's a honking book right yeah um and when i opened it i was actually like it wasn't overly challenging but i was really surprised that it was challenging because that wasn't that wasn't something i was expecting but one thing that i noticed as i got through this book is that so this is a book where the magic system is in the roots in the water of this island Mm -hmm. and um as the book goes those become more and more prevalent to the plot and basically they start to you know become bigger and bigger and bigger and they get more unwieldy just as the prose does so it in full uh, it unfolds like the branches of a tree you know what it it becomes complicated and twisting and it comes back on itself and it grows that way throughout the book in a way that got harder and harder but was more and more rewarding and it wasn't like i sat there and you know tried to like figure out what a sentence meant but like it definitely was a very paced slow reading experience and it's an example of the form mirroring the theme yeah or the or even just the more literal like story level and as i was reading it i was thinking about it and i was about like two-thirds of the way through and i was like man this this uh this whole like 50 100 or 75 page section could just like not be there because it feels like we're doing the same thing over and over and over again but but there's something about luxuriating in it yeah but upon yeah Upon finishing the book and looking back on it, like there's something that was really necessary about slogging through that little bit mm-hmm. before we got to that final moment. It's yeah. like it's like when when a plant just like soaks up all of the the energy from the sun and then it just kind of holds there before like it shoots a sprout out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it it was it was very much like a holding moment and it it, incre- it like reflected so well what the story was in the prose even though it wasn't easy. And so what's interesting to me about what you've described which I think it is really like a sterling example of what the dynamic we're talking about here which is where um, you know, the text itself 
in its own in the experience it's offering mirrors Mm -hmm. the thing it is trying to describe right but what you just described to me feels very like you've you've made a case for something i want to go pick up like that sounds fascinating and i want to go pick it up and read it immediately this sounds less fascinating to me Mm. i mean obviously i know because sure if this were described to me as a book and it someone said well it's profoundly unfun and at times it's not really like it's just kind of difficult and terrible Mm. And like it's that feels like a tougher sell. And one thing I will say, like as someone with a I guess a specific type of taste in Litfic, you know, who's, you know, pitched certain things. I've had conversations with editors about various books over the years and I'll send them something and they'll say, Yeah, you know, it's it's beautifully written and yeah, you know, we love the author and all these things. But the book just it just got too like it just got too difficult in the middle or something or it, or it just got mm. too like grisly or tough or maybe they stopped being you know they stopped feeling as empathetic is a big one mm. you know mm-hmm. and i sometimes i get these critiques you know for projects and i sit there and i think that's the point <laughs> no seriously like i like i you know i can think of you know projects that i've rep that i you know believe in and they are Unfun. They're you know they are they're kind of they it made me think of some some stuff that you know that I've worked on before and you know, eventually you find homes for these things and that and that's great but like I wonder like I feel like we're still you know the book world I don't want to say it's catching up to this because one this is this is newer I mean it's a game as opposed to a text but also I don't know if it's trying to like I guess I just found you know in the way we're kind of just, you know people have kind of started describing more and more games as these like pieces that are worthy of um literary critique right like you can you know there's a you can do literary criticism you know as a Mm -hmm. as a task on a video game now i think pretty easily in a lot of cases but and a lot of people do and a lot of people do very well and it's i find that fascinating but one thing that is inherently different i think is the experience of the person consuming it and this feels like a real branch point to me i don't know that you can get away with or i guess i this level of sheer tedium yeah. You know? <laughs> so I have a thought. Yeah. So you you mentioned that that sheer tedium was celebrated, right, in literature. Yeah. And so one one thought that I had is I I think that you can draw that line. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that that is less and less and less of a thing. I think you can draw that line directly along the um, growing prevalence of visual media. Like, I think that you can look at the changing Hollywood industry, and I think you can look at um, the the episodic nature of television, and I think that you can look at the creation of video games, the invention of video games as stories. And I think that in a lot of ways, as people's tastes have changed because they've started to they've started to consume, those types of narratives that books have transformed into pieces of text that are going to appeal to those things. But what's really interesting is that video games have said, okay, great, we did that. Now let's like go back. Mm -hmm. Like let's go back in a circle. And I think that like rightly said, they get away with it because you can be in it, right? You can do it. Yeah. And I think that, books might take another dip towards that but i don't think they're ever going to quite go as far 
I don't think they're going to quite go as far as, I mean, they might get to the point for Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, but I know that this is being hailed very much as the start of a new genre of yeah. video game. And like in a way that, you know, VR tried to be but didn't, couldn't do because the hardware was too expensive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that they're going to be able to turn it into, you know, maybe someday we'll get to like Westworld where it's like <sighs> it's hot and it's not fun. And like you could choose to have a good time or you can choose to have like the worst fucking time of your life. <laughs> But, like, you're paying out the ass for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, maybe we're getting there with video games. And I wonder if books will keep going in that way of popular interest or if they'll, you know, if, if writers will. F and, and more importantly, because I think writers are still writing these books. I just think that the publishers aren't publishing them. Um, but I yeah, think that the publishers might eventually be okay in sitting in the specific book related uh types of tedium <laughs> well, <that's> a, <laughs> that only books can have well, so this is this is maybe because you bring up the fact that it's publishing yeah. decisions more than it's writing decisions and all because i think you're absolutely right the people are obviously still writing these books but one um just maybe the way to kind of distill the question is this like can i in my in a pitch letter can I comp something on a structural or reader experience level to Red Dead Redemption? I you know what sure. I mean. Like, can I say, look, this book is like this one book, but then you know, if you combine it with, it's got the same level of like delightful frustration as <laughs> this. You know what I mean? Like, I just think like we're on this kind of frontier of, like, as all these you know, as movies and books kind of blur, as you know, yeah. games, everything kind of blurs together. I wonder if this sort of cross medium. You know, pitching. I think we're gonna because I think that you've probably noticed. I mean, do you get more game game comps? In I, your, get, I get I get game comps. They're that, a lot of like setting yeah, and like yeah, main that's, character. That's what, yeah. Um. You know, I get a lot of like Uncharted for mm -hmm. like jungly adventure shit mm -hmm. with yeah. like puzzles. Sure. But you know, um, I think it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're valid. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it's the just, same way I think that television and movies are valid. Yeah, it's interesting. I just think that there's stuff like this and the way it was kind of received, just it, it feels so notable to me. And I wonder, you know, it only takes, you know, one really talented novelist to look at that game and say, I can write that, you know, and do it. You know, like, and then yeah. suddenly, I don't know. It's just, there. I see possibilities like that all over the place. And I think that it's, I, it excites me. Like I, th I think it's really interesting. So yeah, wonderful. Well, should we get to my favorite segment and yours? Um, and we're gonna usually you my favorite segment was the heart stabbing. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> about <true>. yours. <laughs> um, but so this is um, we're gonna do a to loon it may concern. Um, okay. This time I'm going to read it to you. Oh, um, changing it up. It feels more. It feels like you might have a more developed opinion on this than me. Um, so, here we go. Are you ready? I am ready. To loon it may concern. I've seen a lot of different takes on the subgenre magical realism. In particular, whether or not a novel can be classified as MR if it's not a Latinx story. But then again, people call Murakami's books Japanese magical realism. Is it appropriate to use the subgenre if your story is not Latinx? If not, what should the alternative be if your story has magical elements but no magical system? 
Speculative fiction seems too broad. Maybe low fantasy? Okay, so that's an excellent question. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, very, very thoughtful. Um, So I think that there are a couple of different answers here, okay? So starting off, I think everybody who has learned about uh, literature um, subgenres and literary periods will know, of course, that magical realism is a subgenre that was created in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, it was specifically related to like these Latin American artists engaging with uh, Europeans who were living there or were going from Latin America to Europe and dealing with the aftermath of that colonialist um relationship between their countries also with dealing with the rising fascism in their countries and like a lot of other things you know (laughs) like it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that's very specifically like latin america where but you know of course you can trace magical realism to surrealism um and you can trace it to the germans and you can do all Mm -hmm. of that but for all intents and purposes, this is a very like Latin thing yep. that then as the world has become more global, mm-hmm. has become more global. So academically, I think that you will find that scholars of literature will look at magical realism as something that can exist beyond the Latinx community. Um, but that but academics are like reading magical realism with an academic lens is a lot more like nuanced and careful than Mm -hmm. I think a lot of like readers will do. Um, And it has a lot more context. And so like when, when an academic is tracing the similarities between like Gabriel Garcia Marquez and, you know, some German writer or whatever, like you would hope it's not always the case, but like you would hope that, they would have the context to not erase that like colonialist history and to not make it revisionist and just focus on the content rather than like the political um, and social background there. Mm -hmm. So all of this is to say what the academics say is not necessarily what I think the um, like you as a writer or what readers would think. Mm -hmm. I think that for just as Twitter wants to get rid of its like button to uh, to refine discourse, I think it's pretty safe to say that a discourse on magical realism is really, really fraught. And I think that especially in the own voices movement right now, and I know this is getting on really, really long, um, but especially with the own voices movement, a lot of Latinx writers are finally just now getting their day in the sun that's true and i think that there is something really important about while that's happening acknowledging that even though they are now just getting their day in the sun that that we are acknowledging the spanish language and cultural history of this particular subgenre like i think that's really really important for the canon um And so my inclination, Eric, is to say that while scholars may assert that magical realism is now kind of a global phenomenon, it is now owned by writers of the world, Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think that it is the smarter and more respectful thing to if you do not share the Latinx identity and you're writing something akin to magical realism, just call it something else. So what would you call it? Um, I they suggest low fantasy. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, okay. Low fantasy is is not does not to me speak magical realism. I think, um, I think literary fiction with speculative elements inspired by or in the vein of magical realism is probably the most accurate and descriptive. Um, I think think that's one thing that is a good point here is you don't necessarily need to be able to come up to be able to put in the two word phrase. Like the sentence you just or the phrase you just use would suffice just fine. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's why that's why general fiction or literary fiction exist. It's because they're they're catch alls. Yeah. And I think that coming up with another name as code is the same thing as you know like new adult being called new adult rather than like ya plus or it's just it just kind of feels like a um it just kind of feels like a uh, like you're waving a like a magic wand over our faces and hoping that we won't notice um, that you're really trying to write magical realism. You're just trying to be respectful and not calling it that. Yeah. But I think by saying that it is inspired by and not trying to claim your new phraseology um, shows that you know that you're not writing that. Or if you're writing it, you're, it, you're writing something very close to it. And you're not obscuring that connection, but you're also not claiming it for your own. And I feel like that is the most important thing, That's especially for somebody who is a is a really big reader of magical realism um they will understand the cultural and socio-political contexts mm-hmm. there and they will ideally respect what it is that you're trying to do and understand that you're coming at it from a different angle because one thing you also don't want is you also don't want to be like hey i'm writing magical realism and then like not have any of the latinx culture in there uh because somebody who would be reading that would potentially turn your book down because it wasn't what they were expecting yeah and so be as descriptive as possible but also be respectful all right so got my nerd on just then no, that's good <laughs> i think it's a really good thorough answer excellent well thank you so much for the beautiful questions and hearing us talk about video games and heart stabbings um we will have our three special episodes coming to you at some point this month definitely stay tuned online for that information send us your queries your first pages your questions etc to us we're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and we will see you again next week bye Thank you.